Welcome to SD Podcast. I am Case Rietmeier. On July 17th, CDC came out with a report entitled Sexual and Reproductive Health of Persons Aged 10 to 24 Years in the United States from 2002 to 2007. This is a unique report in that it combines data from multiple sources in an attempt to paint a comprehensive picture of the status of sexual health among adolescents and young adults in the U.S. Unfortunately, that picture is not all that pretty. Here to discuss the report are CDC's Nicole Ledon and Kathleen Ethier. This is Nicole Ledon with the Division of STD Prevention at the Center for Disease Control, and I am talking with Kathleen Ethier, who is the chair of a work group here at CDC called the Work Group for Adolescent Sexual Reproductive Health. And we're talking briefly about a new MMWR that's come out that's gotten some some recent attention in the media called Sexual and Reproductive Health of Persons Aged 10 to 24 Years. So, Kathleen, why don't you just tell me a little bit about this report and what exactly is it? What we did was to compile all of the data that we have at CDC that includes any information on adolescent sexual or reproductive health. We looked at as the title suggests, ages 10 to 24. And what's unique about this report is that it is all existing data. It's it's all data that has basically been reported before, but never in this way. There's never been a resource that you could go to to look at all of the data that we have in this area. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a very useful tool to go beyond just looking at single either disease or behavioral outcomes to say what's really going on with adolescents in this age group across the board. Is that one of the goals for creating it was to look at it all together? Yeah, I mean, I think there were a couple of goals. One was to say, what does the complete picture look like? When you look at all of the data systems, when you look at all the data that we have, what does it tell you collectively? The other thing that we did was something that we heard from partners, which was that it's very difficult to compare different data systems because the age breakdowns or the racial ethnic breakdowns are all different. And so it's very difficult to compare what you're seeing, for instance, in the National Survey for Family Growth to what you're seeing in the Youth Risk Behavior Survey because the cuts are different. And so what we did and what we were able to do, which was really unique, was to go back to the keepers of those systems to say, can we just look at this in a more standardized way so that we can start to see whether there are patterns that emerge that we couldn't attribute to just different cuts in age, for instance. So it's not necessarily new data, just a new way of looking at it. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. A new way of looking at it both in terms of putting it all together and a new way of looking at it in terms of making sure that the data is reported comparably across systems. Well, in, in looking at it in this new way, is there anything new? What are what are the key points? I think um, the one thing that it makes it very clear, you know, there have been individual indicators in some data that things that had been previously going in good directions were starting to go in not so good directions. And so, for instance, you know, we saw leveling off or even reversal of positive trends in teen birth rates that we'd been seeing for about 15 years were suddenly starting to slow or or even reverse. When you see one indicator like that, you say, oh, you know, why is that happening? But what we started to see across the board was that similarly in, for instance, gonorrhea rates or in the proportion of kids who used condoms the last time they had sex, across a number of different outcomes, we were seeing the same kinds of either leveling off or or actual increases in negative outcomes. And so that 
when you take that complete picture, when you look at those trends, it tells you that something is actually happening, that it's not just a blip in the data, that there really is something that's happening underlying it. I think the other thing that it tells us is the degree to which young people are affected negatively because of sexual risk behavior. To be able to say, not only do we see that, for instance, approximately 745,000 U.S. females under the age of 20 became pregnant in 2004, in 2006, approximately 20,000 adolescents and young adults in the age range of 20 to 24 were living with HIV. A million adolescents and young adults in that age group were reported to have chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis in 2006. I mean, just to be able to see the quantity of young people affected by these outcomes altogether right. is really powerful. I was going to say, I also understand what's unique about the report is that it has these disease outcomes, but also you have information on the behaviors that lead to these all these different outcomes that often are in different places, HIV, STD. Right. Teen pregnancy. Right. But then you also have the underlying behaviors that are associated with all of them that are right. reported here, right? Right. And so, and that's, I think, something that has never been done before, which is to bring together both the health outcome data and the behavioral data and to be able to kind of both look at the burdens mm-hmm. and as well as being able to look at, at those trends. And I think that the third thing that it allows us to do is to be able to look at the enormous disparities that we see, particularly with regard to race, ethnicity. When you look across all of this data, you see that Hispanic adolescents are more likely to become pregnant and to give birth. You see that non-Hispanic black young people are more likely to be affected by HIV-AIDS. Those are different kinds of disparities, but yet they create a picture that you wouldn't necessarily see if you didn't compile this data together. Mm-hmm. Well, interesting. Lots of information. Who do you expect to use the compendium and how? Um, you know, the original idea to do this came from a group of expert partners that we brought together back in 2006 to say across the board when you're talking about adolescent sexual and reproductive health more broadly and not just in terms of teen pregnancy prevention or STD prevention, what would be helpful to you? And universally they said, bring the data together, provide it for us in a way that we can use more effectively. And so that was the initial reason why we went on this endeavor. And so I think that those partners and including, you know, some of them are funded partners, either they work with a particular division at CDC or they are policymakers or they are researchers. I mean, I think the range of partners who can use this data is really broad. So far, it has been used very actively in just the short period of time that it's been out by advocates and policymakers. And so there are some new policies decision-making that has, is happening at, at state levels and, and even at a national level that was probably in the works for a while, but my sense is that they're using this data to further their case for making these changes, and I think that that's going to be very useful. So the uptake was pretty quick. The uptake has been very, very quick, surprisingly so. I don't think we anticipated the, mm-hmm. the response that we've gotten to it. Yeah. Well, what do you see in the future for this report? Will this be an official CDC product, or can partners expect regular updates? Um, well, this is an official CDC product because it's an MMWR, and so, right. and that was one of the reasons why we wanted to release the report through the Morbidity Mortality Weekly Report because the weight that we know that it carries in the community and the importance of this product. And so, in that sense, I think it does become, in a very official way, a CDC product. We're talking about 
ways in which we can update it. You know, we used the most recently available data when we did this, but we're talking 2002, 2007. Now it's 2009, and you know, presumably we could update it again in another year. And you know, the collection of this data is ongoing. So we would like to, in the future, if we could, update it, but also understand that it has been an enormous task to pull uh-huh. all of this together and has only happened through the persistence of the authors and the goodwill of the divisions who are willing to devote their staff time to this effort. So not expecting that we, we will be able to put all that together again, but we're exploring different ways in which we might be able to continue to make the compilation of this data available to partners. Yeah. Hopefully the, the partners and, and the users will be busy using this particular report for some and telling some and, and telling, you know, CDC how important it is and so really giving us the push to to continue to do it. So feedback that's important and it's being used would, would help. Absolutely. And also, well, you know, any feedback that anyone has on, you know, ways in which we can improve this as a, a product would really also be quite welcome. I have heard a, a few things that, you know, it, it paints in some ways a rather bleak picture. <laughs> Uh, of adolescent sexual and reproductive health. Is is there anything positive or or hopeful that we can take from this? Um, You know, well, I think, you know, I think you want to report these things in a way that the seriousness of the issue um, is evident, and I think that is very clear. You can turn some of the numbers around, particularly around the behavioral data, and say, well, you know, half of high school students are not having sex. Uh Um, And, you know, or, or... you know, still the majority of high school students are using condoms the last time they had sex, and that is a positive thing. I think the trends are where we we get very concerned. But I think, honestly, the, the most positive thing to take away from this is, I think for us, the response that we've had and the way that it's going to be used and the opportunity that it provides to really change policy and practice for adolescents. And so, if we can't find the positivity in the numbers, I think what we need to do is then find the positivity in what we do with those numbers or how we respond to those numbers. And so I think it provides a really wonderful wake-up call for all of us who work in this area to say, we have some work to do here. And it is definitely the case that we have our work cut out for us, but that we have an evidence base that we haven't been attending to more recently, but that we have the opportunity to now make available and that we need to use that evidence base to really help young people make good decisions. And so, like anything else in the challenge, there's an opportunity to do this work better. And I think that we, it's always good to have hard numbers to back you up to say this really is an issue and this is something that we need to address. Well, and it sounds like we also now have a resource that was missing before. I think so. I mean, I think that this contributes in a pretty unique way to the arsenal of evidence that we need to be able to say to our partners, that our partners need to be able to say to their policymakers, both at a state level and at a federal level, that something needs to happen here. Well, thank you very much for uh, for talking to us about that. And uh, where, if people wanted to go to get the report, where could they find it? They can find it on www.cdc.gov slash MMWR. They can link right there to the full report. All right. Thanks, Kathleen. Thank you. A copy of the report is also available on SC Prevention Online by clicking on the link provided in the narrative of this podcast. SCD Podcast is produced by Ben Westergaard at the Internet and SC Center of Excellence. I'm Case Reitmeyer for SC Prevention Online. 